Good morning. Again, welcome again to Wawasee Bible. Glad you're here. Uh, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors along with Kirk and Dan. And uh, hey, we've got a lot of cool stuff happening in our church, don't we? No? Just me? Uh, do, would you agree? There's some cool stuff happening in our church? Yeah. We have uh, three baptisms later this morning. Uh, Chelsea Mangus and Macy. Where's Macy at? I saw her somewhere. There she is, Macy Powell. And, and uh, Cooper, LeCount's way back there hiding out. And uh, so that'll be exciting a little bit here after the message. We'll have some baptisms as they seek to obey the Lord. Uh, some other cool things happening in our church. Uh, if you haven't been around or if you're new, um, we're in the midst of uh, getting close to starting a building project. Did you know that? And uh, here's the deal. We have a groundbreaking date that we're ready to announce. And on Sunday, August 12th, so on Sunday, August 12th, uh, mark that day on your calendar. We're going to do a groundbreaking here at the church. We're going to have a big party. Uh, it's going to be fun. Lord willing, the weather will be great. And uh, we're going to be doing some fun stuff outside. We're going to have uh, food, and it's going to be a blast. You want to be here on August 12th, okay? And um, uh, we'll, we'll do a groundbreaking and dedicate the whole project to the Lord, and uh, things will take off in August. And uh, this fall will be f- full of all kinds of fun chaos, yeah? Yeah, seriously, it's going to be great. And so August 12th, mark that on your calendar. And uh, if you're a leader in our church, or, or not even just a leader, but if you serve anywhere in ministry, you might also mark that Wednesday, which would be 12, 13, 14, 15, right? August 15th, that evening, 6.30 to 8.30, we're going to gather everybody who serves in any area of our church. And you know what? If you don't serve, but you're like, I'd kind of like to, or you just want to be nosy and be there anyway, why don't you come too? Uh, that Wednesday night, August 15th, 6.30 to 8.30, we're going to do kind of a, a rally together of all of our workers in our church ministries and uh, do some training with you and uh, give you kind of the inside look of what those next few months are going to be in terms of the construction plan and all of that good stuff and how it affects your ministry. So mark those two dates, August 12th, August 15th. Yeah, yeah? All right. Well, who's ready to quit listening to Josh and hear from the Lord? Yeah, I am too. Uh, Because I don't have much to say other than what God has written down. So We're in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to go ahead and read the passage with you this morning, verses 16 through 25. I'm going to read it, we'll pray, and then we'll unpack this together. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, Paul continues his thoughts to the churches of Galatia, and he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviness, Uh, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us. Thank you that uh, you send your helper, the Spirit, who uh, uh, figures prominently into this passage, into the lives of those who trust you, into my life, to change us, to bear fruit, to help us uh, walk uh, with you, help us know who we are, to, to draw us closer and point us more directly, Jesus, toward you. I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects, and instead, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach me, even as I teach, that you would uh, make your truth uh, plain to all of us. I pray for those who don't know you and uh, are still living by the flesh, that today might be the day that they see Jesus for who he is. And Holy Spirit, today might be the day that you work in their hearts and they choose to trust Jesus and become a Christian. For the rest of us, help us to live lives honoring to you, in step, as Paul says, with the Spirit. And we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, Paul starts off, if you look at those first three verses, he, he, he's talking about some kind of conflict going on, isn't he? There, there's like a war going on within you and within me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ especially, there's... Would you agree there, there's like this battle going on in your spirit? Like uh, there's like things I want to do, but I don't do them. But deep down, I know that's what I want to do. I know I want to follow Jesus and I know who I am. Yet for whatever reason, I keep falling back into this pattern of sin or I keep uh, demonstrating and having this attitude pop up in my life. That's what Paul says here. He says, I say, if you walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we all have those desires, don't we? We have those things that, um, for whatever reason, we, we find ourselves drawn to, even though we know we shouldn't be, and ultimately, deeper down, we're drawn more to Jesus Christ. And yet we still find ourselves gravitating towards things we know we ought not to. Well, Paul says, if you would walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify those desires. How many of you are like, sign me up? I want that. I want to walk by the Spirit. I don't want to gratify those desires. But look what Paul says. He goes on. He says, the, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other. And when it says to keep you from doing the things you want to do, what he's saying is that because of that, it, it keeps you from doing what you really want to do, which is obey the Lord and obey Jesus and follow the Spirit. Now, let's talk a little bit about what happens when a person becomes a Christian, because you're going to see it demonstrated in baptism this morning. When a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, and by the way, that's what it means to become a Christian. It doesn't mean uh, come to church and give to the church and worship in the church and work in the church. None of those things make you a Christian. Living a right moral lifestyle does not make you a Christian. And so many in the world and many in the church have bought into that lie that somehow if I just do enough good things, that's what makes a person a Christian. Or if I do the right things, like go to church, that's what makes me a Christian. It's not. The Bible's really clear. In fact, this whole book of Galatians is all about that. That it's, it's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus has done. And so becoming a Christian is recognizing that, you know what, I'm a sinner. I'm pretty messed up. And God is perfectly holy and just. And because of that, he, he has declared that uh, 
because of his justice, because of his holiness, he can't be in the presence of sin, right? And so there's going to be a penalty for sin. And that penalty is death. It's being under God's wrath. And, and you have a choice. If you've, uh, if you've sinned, how many say, that's me? Boy, there's a, there's a lot of you that weren't quite sure. If that's you, say, that's me. That's all of us, right? Like, there's a penalty that's due for your sin, God's wrath, because he is perfectly holy and perfectly just, must be satisfied. And you have an option. That wrath can be satisfied by you, and you can pay the penalty for your sin. Or you can allow Jesus and his work on the cross pay that penalty for you in full, completely. So here's what it looks like. If I choose to pay the penalty for my sin myself, it means that at the end of this life, not only do I die physically, but I die spiritually and I spend eternity in hell paying the penalty for my sin under Jesus' wrath. However, if I look to the cross and I say, you know what, I sinned, that's what I deserve, but Jesus, I saw uh, you lived a perfect life. And yet you died in my place on the cross and you took the punch of God's wrath for me in my place. You know what? Here's my sin. You take it. And freely, just by faith, he gives you his righteousness. And now at the end, you just say uh, simply, you know what? It's, it's not on me. It's all on Jesus. Jesus has paid it in full. Uh, here's my receipt in a sense, right? It's totally a blank slate. And I've been given all of his righteousness. And that's what makes you a Christian. Nothing that you've done, everything that Jesus has done. Now, what Jesus says is that when you by faith trust him and become a Christian, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. Now, think about how radical this is. You and I are really messed up people. We're really incredibly sinful. And so when we, we, we deserve hell, Joshua, I deserve hell. And so when I trusted Jesus in high school, the Holy Spirit uh, came and dwelt within me, according to God's word, and started to empower me to live out the right desires of my new standing before God. And so in, in doing that, though, think about this. I'm, I'm still sinful, and the Holy Spirit comes into my life, into a, into a person who is still full of sin and full of sinful desires, and what do you suppose is going to happen? Lots of conflict. I mean, suddenly the spirit comes into a life that is sinful and messed up and uh, starts to begin working in a way, like trying to, uh, to help you live out the life of the position you now have. And yet there's still a battle. That's why Paul says the desires of the flesh are against that spirit you received when you became a Christian. And the new desires of the spirit in your life, they're against the flesh that you're still living in. And there's a war within you. How many of you, if you've trusted Jesus, you're like, yeah, I know all about that. I know all about that. Because uh, as, like Paul says, it, it actually it keeps me often from doing what I really want to do, which is honor the Lord and follow the Spirit. And there's this battle that's set up and that's taken place. Well, so what exactly is the nature of this conflict? Well, it's a battle between, look at, look at verse uh, 17, between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. Now, that word desires there in the Greek, literally it probably should be translated uh, over desires. Because honestly, like in our flesh, we don't, oftentimes what we desire, even as a Christian from our flesh, are good things. But the problem is, is when we over-desire them. 
And we make that good thing into an idol, and so it sets us apart against the Spirit. And we wrongly desire, even, think about it, even in terms of sin and addiction, right? What is it really you're probably desiring if you struggle with an addiction of some sort? It's love and acceptance and knowing uh, uh, that, that, that you are, are, are whole, that you're loved by God, you're loved by others, and you desire that so much that you're turning to something that can't ultimately fulfill that desire in you. It's an over-desire for a good thing fulfilled in a bad way. And that the desires of the Spirit, the Spirit doesn't over-desire, but yet Paul still uses that word, and he's just like, um, the Spirit's desire for you, though, is to follow Jesus and know who you are and know that you're loved, like we just sang. And there's this war at work within you. Uh, literally, the word for, for flesh there is, uh, is sarks. You're like, okay, cool. But, but what it means is everything about you, it's not just physical, but it's your desires. It's who you are uh, as a human being. Those sinful desires deep within, not just your physical being, but your spiritual being, your, your flesh. And so that's the way it's often translated. And it's at war. But Paul, see, Paul talks about this in other places too. He says at the end of verse 17, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You should go read Romans 7 and 8 this week. And if you're in a 110 group, you will. Um, here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says, For I don't understand what I'm doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. He's writing as a Christian, as somebody who, see, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you haven't trusted Jesus. And so you look at the church and you look at those who follow Jesus and you go, What a bunch of hypocrites. And I would respond to you, Yeah. And you're welcome to join us. We'll take one more. Because look, look when the, what happens is when the Spirit comes into our lives, there's a battle that's taking place. And even the Apostle Paul, he says, I don't understand what I'm doing because I, I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. He's saying, I, I, I tend to live like in this hypocritical way where I know what's right. And ultimately, deep down, that's what I desire. But I still don't do it because there's this war within me. Look at verse 18. He says, for I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, talking about the Spirit, but, but there, there's no ability to do it. For I, I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Back to Galatians, Paul says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. See, when he's writing to the Galatians, what, what had happened is, I'll give you the cliff notes again. Uh, he's writing to this group of people who become Christians, and this group of, of people from Jerusalem, Judaizers, come in and say, that's great, you trusted Jesus, you're a Christian, but uh, you're not really a Christian until you also do all these good works, that, which is called the law. And Paul, throughout this entire letter, he's been just bashing that idea. It has nothing to do with your good works from start to the middle to finish. It's all about Jesus, as we like to say around here, right? It's, it's all about Jesus. And uh, so those who walk by the Spirit are not under the law. In Romans 8, he'll say that those who walk by the Spirit are really those who've received the Spirit, who've become a Christian. Romans 8, verse 9, I believe. Now look at what he does here. He goes on and he gives two lists of deeds. He says first the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21 and then the fruit of the spirit. Now the law 
is all about works. It's all about what you can do to earn favor with God. But grace is all about the Spirit working these things in you, helping you live out your new identity in Jesus Christ. Now notice how Paul describes these two things. Look at verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. But skip ahead for a second to verse 22. What does he say about the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit? It's not works of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. Works of the flesh, things I'm trying to do, and fruit of the Spirit. Now, works, I just do it, right? How do you get fruit? It takes some time. Like, you got to let it grow. you got to plant it, water it, nurture it. You don't often even see it happening in the moment. But you come back over time and you start to see, oh, there's something growing there. It's different. There's, there's fruit on this tree. There's fruit on this plant. But in the moment, like, if you just stand there and stare at it, you're not going to see anything probably happen. Right? So so no, this is a long, gradual process. But let's first look at his list of the works of the flesh. He 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 lists these out. He says they're evident. Sexual immorality, uh, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, in terms of looking at these, there's different ways kind of to to divide this list up. First, you know, in verse 19, he lists three things that really have to do with sexuality and our, our, our sexual nature and sin in a sexual way. Sexual immorality, having sex outside of marriage. Uh, impurity, um, unnatural sexual practices or relationships, the, uh, uh, sensuality, just uncontrolled sexuality. Now, these are really evident in our culture today. Would you agree? I mean, it's like all over the place. So those are works of the flesh. Then there's two words in verse 20 that have to do with the area of religion, idolatry, and sorcery. In verses 20 and 21, there's eight words that describe how the flesh destroys relationships. There's selfish ambition. There's envy, coveting or desires what others have, jealousy, the zeal and energy that comes from just a bad ego, uh, hatred, hostility, an adversarial attitude. Did you notice, too, that some of these things, these works of the flesh, not all of them are actually things you do, but some of them are actually attitudes, Attitudes of your heart, attitudes of your mind. And he goes through, finally, there's a couple that refer to substance abuse, drunkenness, and orgies. It's really referring both to to drunkenness and being controlled by by some other pleasure-creating substance and behavior. And Paul has this stark warning for those who live according to these things. He says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. It almost sounds like he's talking about salvation is based on works then, doesn't it? Like, if I do these things, I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what's going to happen here, he's saying, but the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, that uh, even in your flesh, what what he's talking about is is those who are, it's habitually in that, never repenting, never battling against it, always staying there. The reality is, if that's you, you probably haven't ever truly trusted Jesus to where the Spirit has taken root in your heart to grow his fruit in your life. So if that is, if you claim to be a Christian and you continually find yourself here, 
in these uh, works of the flesh. You, you need to examine your heart a second and say, hey, have I really trusted Jesus Christ? To quote the old ladies from the Wendy's commercials when I was a kid, right? Where, not where's the beef, but where's the fruit? <laughs> Where is it? I mean, uh, yeah, okay, you trusted Jesus, but, but where's the fruit of that in your life? You'll bear fruit if you've trusted Jesus. The Spirit will bear fruit in you. Some more than others, I get that. But there'll be fruit. There'll be change that happens over time in your life. And if there's no change, if, like I've said it like this before, right? If your faith hasn't changed you, has it really saved you? And I think that's Paul's argument here and other places as well as James throughout Scripture. Notice, too, this list of, of, of works of the flesh. It's, sometimes we, we like to think of some as maybe worse than others, but Paul lists some that are clearly like irreligious people, but some that religious people find themselves caught in quite a bit, right? Envy? Jealousy? Like that, those, are, those are pretty common things. Like You're like, oh, that's not so bad. Well, Paul has it in the same list as sexual immorality and others and drunkenness. There's no distinction. Like, if you're stuck in those things, you need to repent and trust Jesus. And his spirit comes, and then there starts to be fruit. Look at the fruit of the spirit. And notice, fruit isn't by your work. It's by the work of the spirit. Um, it, it's, we're going to talk about how to bear fruit here in a moment. He says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. As I said before, I think this is a really good description of Jesus, of the, the spirit-filled life. You see these fruits and others uh, grow in the life of a believer. And just a couple things about, about fruit, right? Like first, uh, Christian growth is gradual. Paul doesn't choose his, um, choose his metaphors just willy-nilly. Like he has a reason that he calls it fruit. Why? Because it's, Christian growth is gradual, just like it takes a while for a turnip or a potato to grow. It takes time for a Christian to grow. One of the metaphors often for the, the life of a follower of, of Jesus and for uh, God's people is that of a tree. In fact, that's why our logo is a tree, one of the reasons. How does a tree grow? Slowly, steadily, going deeper, growing higher, growing wider, but it doesn't all happen at once. And often the slower it grows, the stronger it is over time. Like the Christian growth is gradual. So if you're not seeing fruit like this week compared to last week, how about this month compared to last summer or compared to three years ago? Hopefully then you're going to start seeing some fruit and some change and growth in your life. Second, the growth of the Spirit's fruit, it's inevitable. Like I said before, if you're really a follower of Jesus, it's not um, do you have, or it's not uh, whether or not you're going to produce fruit, it's uh, where is the fruit? Now, there's different amounts for different people, but it's inevitable. If you're following Jesus Christ, there will be fruit in your life. And if there is no fruit, that should cause great concern for you. And I'm not talking about gifts, Right? Because sometimes we can confuse gifts for fruit, like, oh, I'm really good at this, I'm really good at this, or even temperament for fruit. No, no, no. Fruit is the supernatural thing where the Spirit is changing you. And did you know the term Paul uses there isn't fruit plural, it's fruit singular? 
in the Greek. And so he's saying all of these things characterize a believer. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. Now, are you going to lapse in those things? Yeah, there's war going on within you, right? Even Paul said, I don't do the things I want to do. I don't know what's wrong with me. But over time, you're still going to see that fruit grow. Here's a couple other observations about fruit that we're going to talk about. How do you grow fruit? Third, the fruit of the Spirit has internal roots. It's not about traits or characteristics. This is kind of what I was just saying. It's not about your temperament. It's about the Holy Spirit growing something within you. And then finally, uh, I kind of said this too, it's, it's symmetrical. Paul uses the singular word fruit to grow all of this in your life. If we had more time, we'd take some time just to look at each of those things and what the fruit of the Spirit looks like on each of those. Maybe that'd be a good study for you to do this week. And if you talk to me, I'll be glad to get you some info. But let's go on and talk a little more about, um, that's great if we know all that, but, but so what, right? How do I grow fruit? How does this affect me? If I'm looking at my life and I'm going, boy, you know, Josh, there's not much fruit over the last five years, 10 years, 20 years. How do you grow fruit? Well, first, you've got to become a Christian, right? But assuming you've really trusted Jesus, here's some steps to growing the fruit of the Spirit. And it comes right out of verses 25, 24 and 25. Paul writes this. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So how can the fruit of the Spirit take root in our hearts? How can it be produced in a genuine way? Well, first, number one, look at verse 24. Paul, Paul's saying, remember who you are. Remember that you belong to Jesus. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, you are Christ. You belong to him. You're, you're his. You're in him is the language that Paul uses often. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, meaning between you and God, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. In 1 Corinthians 6, he says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Listen, the, the first step in all of this is to know who you are. Because here's the reality. You, you, there's two aspects of who you are. There's your identity, that's who you are. And there's your activity, there's what you do. The lie of the world and the lie of the enemy is that your activity determines your identity. That if you do the right things, then you become this person. That's why social media is such a um, big deal, right? And why so many people lie on social media. Because they believe if, if this is what I do, I'm going to project who I am and I'm going to determine my identity. But you can't do that. Because the opposite of that is true. The truth is that your identity determines your activity. So being good enough doesn't make you a Christian, Right? In Genesis chapter 1, it all starts in Genesis, Paul, or Paul, God says to Adam and Eve, he says, uh, uh, I've made you in my image. He said, let us make man and, man and woman in, in our image, like us, and in, in our likeness he made them, right? Male and female, he created them. 
And Adam and Eve from the beginning were like God. And then after that, God gives them instruction, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He tells them how to live out who they are. Well, along comes the this, this snake, right? And he's like, um, uh, did God really tell you not to eat from that tree? And Eve says, um, no, well, uh, you know, she hems and haws and gives a little bit different answer back. Yeah, no, he didn't say that. He said, not just from this one tree. And he goes, oh, if you eat from that, you, you won't die. In fact, if you eat from that, you'll become like him. If you do this, you'll get an identity like his. What was the truth back in Genesis 1? This is, you already have that identity. You're like him. Now go live like it. Now the, the, the serpent comes along and says, do this so that you can be like God. It's a lie. And everything else throughout time traces back, in my opinion, to that lie. You're trying to earn favor with people is, is trying to earn an identity through your activity. But here's the truth, friends. If you follow Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him, repented, you are clean. You are a saint, right? You're not voted in by a bunch of guys in big hats. You are a saint. You are. That's God's word. That's truth. That's who you are. Now, go live like it. Religion, you know what religion says? Religion says, yeah, you, that's not true. If you really want to be a saint, if you really want to be loved by God, you have to do all of these good, right things. And then, if you do enough, maybe he'll love you. Problem is, you'll never do enough. The gospel is, this is who you are, go live like it. So the first step in bearing fruit, you gotta remember who you are. If you've trusted Jesus, never forget who you are. Second thing Paul says here, crucify your sin. Crucify your sin. Now, you've been crucified with Christ, Paul says in Galatians 2.20. In other words, Jesus' death on the cross is a substitute for you. His death is your death as it relates to your position before God. But now here he's saying actively you need to be killing sin in your life because there's a war going on between the spirit and your flesh, and you need to follow the spirit and kill your sin. Now, here's what this looks like. Identifying and dismantling your idols. First, identify them. What's an idol? Like, I don't have, like, a little tiki god or anything like that at home, Josh. I don't have any idols. Well, you know what an idol is? An idol is anything, often good things, that take the place of God and they rise to the importance and worship of God that he alone, that Jesus alone deserves in your life. And so if you want it to, to start to bear fruit, you need to take some time and identify what are the idols in your life that you need to tear down. And here's just a simple tool. I shared this with you a few weeks ago that you can help identify your own idols because we all have them. First is items. What's the stuff you idolize? Just use the word idols as an acronym. What, what stuff has become uh, paramount to you in your life? And you know what? Honestly, you found your value, in a sense, your salvation, your worth in that thing rather than in Jesus Christ. Is a vehicle... Is it a phone? Is it some clothing? Is it fill in the blank? What is it? Uh, the next thing might be duties, stuff you do. What are, what are you, some of your activity you can find your identity in? I shared with you that as a pastor, it's easy to find my identity in being a pastor. Except my identity is not in being a pastor. It's in Jesus Christ. It's as, his chi as, a, as a child of God. What are some of the things you do? Maybe it's as a mom, you can find your identity in that, or as a dad, or as a spouse. And if you wrongly expect that to give you your total worth and value, it's going to come crashing down. Identify those things. 
so items, duties, others, other people can be idols. Especially children can become idols. Or if you're single and you, you long to be married, that, that other person can become an idol. And if you begin to worship them as God and they take the place of God, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be crushed and they're going to be crushed because that's a weight that no person can bear. And they're going to fail you in that. Don't find your identity in others. Maybe you need to repent of that. Maybe it's longings. Longings are good things. This is kind of, I think, what Paul's talking about here in Galatians, over-desiring good things. What do you long for? Maybe you long for a child. That's a good longing. If you want, I'll pray with you for that. But don't let that become your idol. Don't let that be the reason you live. You'll be crushed if it doesn't happen. And when it does, you'll move back up the chain to others and that little baby will be an idol. The last one, too, suffering sometimes can be an idol. I find my identity in what's happened to me. I do dirty things because I'm a dirty person. And in our sufferings, we start then to live those things out, right? Right? Don't find your identity in your suffering. So there's first identify them, but then dismantle them, tear them down. This isn't a passive process. This is, you gotta be active in it. So if I identify an idol, right, and I find myself throughout the week this week, and I'm like, okay, I know that's an idol, and I know I'm starting to find my identity and my worth and my value in that thing, here's what you do. Here's what you do. Stop, slow down, And you need to begin replacing the desire for that idol with a greater desire. There's a Puritan uh, guy, uh, Thomas Chalmers, who had this sermon where he, he talked about the expulsive power of a greater affection. That the more I desire Jesus, the more that that thing is gonna get pushed out. And so if I find myself uh, beginning to, to worship or long for or find my identity in an idol that I've identified in my life, I just need to stop and say, Lord, I don't, I don't know why this is, and I know it's wrong, but I'm finding worth in this thing. I don't get it, but I do that, and I hate it. And then you just need to stop, and you need to stay there. Maybe you need to grab your Bible, open it up to the Psalms, open it up to the Gospels, and just spend time with the Lord in that moment until the Spirit begins to work in you and uh, allow you to desire Jesus more than that thing. And I know that sounds like, I don't know, if does that really work? Why don't you try it? There's power in God's word. And the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, is dwelling within you, and he is powerful. And it's not just treating uh, your behavior, because that's not going to kill your idols. That's like if I had skin cancer, just putting some calamine lotion on. It's just going to mask it, and the cancer's still going to grow, and I'm still going to die. No, no, you got to get below behavior to motivation. And so, so you need to get in God's word and replace those desires with the desire. Listen, you're like, I don't know if he would get that. I would be embarrassed even to pray some of those things I desire to God. No, he gets it. Trust me. He knows. He knows. Get away, slow down, stop, and turn to Jesus. And as the hymn goes, right, it's not scripture, but it's based on scripture, and it's true, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's how you dismantle an idol. 
You have a handful of scriptures there that talk about killing your sin. You know, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if the spirit, if by the spirit, Romans 8, 13, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul says in Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You got to do this at a motivational level. Get down to the heart of it. And then finally, after you've done that, keep in step with the spirit. Romans 13, Paul says in verse 14, uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So when you find yourself, you know, walking down that road uh, toward that idol, make no, uh, no provision for that. Repent. And listen, that's a, that's a hard process, right? To walk in step with the Spirit is not easy, and you're going to be repenting a lot if you're a follower of Jesus. I would encourage you this week, we don't have time to look at it this morning, but go read through Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And, and look at how Paul describes what that looks like, to, to put off the flesh and to put on Christ. And I'll, I'll close kind of with this little, this little story and see if this helps you in terms of learning to walk with the Spirit. Imagine, I think maybe I've even shared this story before. I went to school at Moody Bible Institute, downtown Chicago, and uh, while I was there, there was construction going on uh, in the middle of campus, and so you had to walk out around on LaSalle and over to Chicago Ave and up and then back over to get to class. You couldn't go through and avoid anything. And so uh, I just, just imagine if I got up one morning and I'm walking to class, and uh, of course in Chicago, there's all kinds of potholes in the ground, right? Like sometimes potholes the size of cars will open up in the streets. It's craziness. Not lying. It's true. Rock knows what, not Kathy knows what I'm talking about. So imagine I'm walking to class. And I'm walking, and all of a sudden, thump, I fall in this hole. And I find myself in this pothole. I'm like, ow, that really, that kind of hurt. I didn't even see that thing there. And so I kind of crawl out, and I make my way to class. Well, the next day I get up, and I get up, and I start to walk to class, and that pothole still hasn't been fixed because they don't fix a lot very quickly in Chicago. And I'm on my way, and I see this pothole, and, and I see it. At the last minute, but then boom, I fall in it again. <laughs> Not real bright, am I? But I go, man, that was stupid. I knew that hole was there. I fell in it yesterday. It hurt just as bad today. And I get up and I walk and I go to class. Now, the next day, I get up. I walk down on Chicago and I'm walking up LaSalle. And I see the pothole. I'm like, whoa, hold on. Pretty sure that's the hole I fell in yesterday and the day before. I think I'm going to walk around it today. And so I go around it. And I keep going. I made it. I made it, made it to class right now. The next day I get up. And I start, I start over uh, on Chicago Ave. And I go, wait. I know when I turn the corner on LaSalle Street, uh, there's a big hole there that I keep falling in. I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen. And I'm going to go up Wells Street today. That's the picture of repentance and of learning to walk in step with the Spirit. There's going to be a lot of times you're going to fall in the hole. You're going to have to pull yourself up. You're going to be hurt. But, but you're going to, you need to start to recognize it and not just go around it, but, re, but, but just make no, uh, no provision for the flesh. Like, just totally go a different way. That's repentance. That's walking in step with the Spirit. And listen. As, as you do those things, as you rely on the Spirit to do that, as you pray about it, get in his word, let the Holy Spirit change you, you'll slowly begin to bear fruit 
And those desires will become quenched and crucified with Christ, and you'll put them to death. And I'm telling you, if you can start to do some of those things over the next weeks, months, years, by God's grace, you'll look back five years from now and you go, man, I'm not the guy, I'm not the woman I was. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God's grace and Jesus Christ. Amen?